Sego and welcome to Resistance Radio. I'm John Kane, your host. Uh, Regan DeLoggins will be coming along shortly. And we've got a good program for you. Um, there's always going to be a different angle when two native voices come on the air to talk about something that might be in the news already. And that's why we say we we like to offer a native perspective to issues that impact us all. Well, critical race theory is in all the news right now it is the new boogeyman of the uh, uh, you know that the that the the right or the white uh, has their sights on and we want to talk a little bit about critical race theory and and look for those of you who haven't heard this expression or have heard it but don't know what it means it's essentially an academic movement to critically examine the law as it intersects with issues of race and to challenge mainstream approaches to racial justice or or uh, racial equity it basically is uh, is the idea of looking at um not just racism but systemic racism and this has, you know, white people on the right just losing their freaking minds. I mean, there are literally states that have passed state laws prohibiting teaching critical race theory in schools. Now, the crazy part is that if there's, there may be no place more important to teach critical race theory than in K through 12 schools. And especially since that's where most people are not going to continue to study history after school. I mean, uh, look, m many of us still read and that kind of thing, but the body of American history that most Americans have comes to them from, from the childhood, from elementary and, and high school. And the problem is what they're being taught is, is pr primarily BS. I'm primarily propaganda. It's always about in the words of, uh, James Lowen, who wrote Lies My Teacher Told Me, he basically says it, it's it's this whole idea of, of teaching history as if it's a series of fairy tales with happy endings. Because no matter what you teach, I mean, <laughs> before the show, and Reggie, feel free to chime in here because we're just chuckling because, you know, it's you got a situation now where they've, they've passed a, a law declaring, a federal law, declaring Juneteenth as a, as a holiday. Well, how do you teach about Juneteenth <laughs> without talking about slavery? And I says, well, that's easy. You don't teach about slavery. You just teach about ending slavery. Slavery sucks. Who wants to teach about slavery? Just teach about ending slavery and then everybody's happy it's all it's all good stuff right <laughs> I, I, yeah really what is the big deal about that i mean like hey slavery is bad the end of slavery is good so here's juneteenth to remind people about that never mind the details never mind about the infrastructure building never mind about the free labor that was offered for centuries at that time but let to know that we now have a federal holiday. Yeah, bury bury sixteen nineteen, <laughs> but 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 let's celebrate Juneteenth. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, it it, it I don't know. It's it, it's just like one of those badly edited films where you, you, you it's like um, I, I don't know if you remember this like uh, back in the. Uh, early days well in a in in television where you had these real bad westerns 
where uh, where you're they, talking you're talking to a native person, right? I, I, yeah, Is there no, any such I, thing I, as a good I, Western? I, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I I fully realize who I'm talking to, sir. <laughs> but with, with that said, it, 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 it's where. They, they, they give you the end, but they never give you the details of what started the things like, uh, you know, name your situation. And and if and it was an accomplishment on its own, if they even mentioned the situation, you know, it never mind presented it entirely bad. But this is what. I'm talking about uh, in regards to Juneteenth. It's like, you know, you, you, you can't go into the details and boom, here it is. It's there. Just like the, uh, the, the, the Tulsa situation, it was a massacre. No one wants to talk about how we got into that. No, they won't even call it a massacre. They, they want to keep calling it a riot. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's an absurd characterization about what took place in Tulsa. I mean, it, it, and, and it just amazes me when, when I hear these things that, that get these tags to them. And, and, and let's face it, Tulsa was not a unique situation. I mean, there was some unique characteristics I mean, by the sheer volume of the destruction, but in every major city of the United States, within a 10 year period around at or around, you know, actually leading up to Tulsa, Every city, New York, Chicago, Washington, every city had a uh, had a, a major right. blow up where white people attacked black communities. Yeah, that's right. That's true. And speaking of that, I think Regan is here. I am. Can y'all hear me OK? <laughs> yeah, I can hear you fine, Regan. Hey, uh, thanks for I know sometimes this is really tough to kind of jam this all in here, but uh, I think that you and I need to have this conversation. Well, I think it's interesting that y'all are talking about Juneteenth. And I think the conversation around Juneteenth is incredibly problematic, especially becoming a federal holiday. Uh, because as y'all were saying, it's just a performative action to have Juneteenth be a federal holiday. But what we are not talking about are the over 200 uh, proposed legislative changes to end lynching that were completely disregarded. Uh, or the fact that yep. the Black Lives Matter movement is still in effect, still happening and will continue to happen as police continue to be violent and murder black people. And I also hate this narrative around Juneteenth in which we discuss it as, oh, this is when enslavement ended in the so-called United States, when the reality is it didn't end in Indian territory uh, today, which we call Oklahoma, until 1866. So or California, all, for that matter. <laughs> and for California, you know, in, indigenous, unfortunately, indigenous tribes participated in plantation slavery and maintained enslavement of black people within Indian territory as a way to exercise sovereignty laws, which, so we can't just be like, oh, Juneteenth will now, you know, of course, I, I, you know, I, we, we want to celebrate and there are moments of resistance that need to be celebrated. But we also can't ignore that enslavement continued and still continues through the carceral system. Well, it's, it's kind of like, you know, New York City school district, you know, making the move to uh, to end Columbus Day and call it Indigenous Peoples Day. And then the pushback says, oh, no, we're going to call it Indigenous Peoples Day and an Italian Heritage Day at the same time. Well, what is the significant of, significance of that day and Italians? I mean, it's like you. All right, so we're going to just ignore what we just did. 
don't know. It's just crazy. I've been, All right, I've so been let's reading, let, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say I've, I've been I've been reading through a number of uh, of, uh, of articles and reactions and tweets uh, in response to Juneteenth, as well as other things that we're going to be discussing um, on today's show, and it's 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 just so disappointing to see how quickly this is being co-opted by nonprofits co-opted as this federal national as this federal holiday rather than having discourse about that juneteenth is still not taught in most schools and actually there's an incredible amount of legislation pushing back teaching juneteenth in schools well, I mean, but, you know, it's I, I got to also mention, you know, being Pride Month and look at how many major corporations are now marketing their goods with rainbow flags or rainbow colors, whether you're talking about sneakers oh. or Coca-Cola products or I mean, it is really sickening uh, at so many different levels to see how they've commercialized these things without ever delving in or addressing the problem. Of course. And, you know, Pride was a riot is a riot was started by a black trans woman and an indigenous afro an afro indigenous trans woman and it was against corporate and cap uh, corporate pride and capitalism as well as continued violence against our community so it, it's just such a you know this is such, such a heavy heavy month where we often just celebrate without questioning. And the reality is that we need to be unpacking the histories of these celebrations so we understand how legislation and societal norms actually push back and look to continue to oppress people of color, look to impress, uh, oppress queer people of color. So I, I am really looking forward to this conversation today. <laughs> Well, let's get, let's get into it. First, I, I gave a brief, um, among many, but a, a brief um, description or, or definition of critical race theory, which is, you know, as I laid it out, it's, it's kind of an academic movement to critically examine the law, um, the law as it intersects with issues of race, and it's also intended to challenge mainstream approaches to racial equity and, and racial justice uh, you know basically like i said it's it's about examining systemic racism and 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 where it comes from so the crazy part is that you have the the white right losing their mind over this because i mean th their fragility their white fragility as i call it is it could not be on on greater display when they literally say we don't want our children to have to feel guilty for being white. Yeah, I think it's, um, I was reading an article put out by um, Education Week, uh, which is a, a, a journalist organization that specifically focused on the education and is for teachers. And, and I, I tried to keep up with it and read it quite often because I, I, I write curriculum and I am a teacher. And the article that was put out about this really goes into first defining critical race theory, which as you said, is an academic concept that is over 40 years old. And the intention is to connect racism as a social construct um, to embedded policies and legal systems, which most people are aware of, or well, maybe, maybe that's too far of a jump. Um, but I do want people to know that the framework of this analysis of critical race theory comes uh, out of the 1970s and 80s, specifically from Kimberly Crenshaw, Derek Bell, and Richard Delgado, who are academics that puts, uh, put, put a, a word or rather a phrase to unpacking the larger societal 
uh, issues and oppressions that we see that are specifically and, and intrinsically tied to race. Right. Well, and I think, you know, and again, you know, the the, the name becomes um, a catchphrase for the right. But but the but the the bottom line is, if you can't address the fact that when that racism is and and has been so pervasive, if you can't you grasp the idea that 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 it has become so embedded in everything from you know from from redlining via zip codes to you know to you know the uh, the prison and justice systems to to who gets what job but but as just as importantly how children are being taught history and and i think mm-hmm. you know the idea that the you know that the right is attacking attacking critical race theory being taught in the schools so strongly is is proof that they know that that teaching children at an early age about critical race theory about racism frankly might weaken their their white privilege well i want to point out that one of the biggest conservative organizations that's pushing against critical race theory being taught in schools is a foundation called the heritage foundation and they attributed um what they refer to as issues with CRT, which is critical race theory. Um, and and I, wanna, I wanna read what they attribute issues being because I think it's incredible. Um, they specifically say that they attribute a host of issues to CRT, including the Black Lives Matter protests, LBGTQIA plus clubs in schools, diversity trainings in federal agencies and organizations, recent ethnic studies model curriculums, free speech debates on college campuses and alternatives to exclusionary discipline. So these are their issues that they're bringing, that they find these to be problems that CRT raises. And I think this is such an important thing to understand because how are these issues? How is discussing Black Lives Matters with the Black Lives Matter protests within school an issue? How is an abundance of LBGTQIA clubs and schools an issue? How is having diversity trainings in federal agencies and organizations an issue? How are free speech debates on college campuses an issue? I think that it's such an incredible, um, they are linking so many things that they deem as inappropriate to be taught in schools. When the reality is, first of all, these happen in schools with or without CRT training. We talk about these as teachers with our students because our students bring up these topics constantly because it's part of their lives, especially if they're on social media. So it's not something that we can ignore as teachers, nor should we ignore as teachers. But I did want to name the list that the Heritage Foundation has attributed as problems or issues in teaching CRT in school. Well, and and we'll get into this a little bit more, but one of the things that it becomes a conflict even for the right is the other issue that that gets attributed to teaching critical race theory is um, is the push against native mascots. That there's a, there's a definitely a connection there. I'm surprised it didn't make the list. But um, the the interesting thing is there are many schools that are now trying to use or pitch this idea of teaching more native history as an excuse for keeping a native mascot. Mm-hmm. Well, 
then how do you do that? I mean, how do you teach more Native history and not delve and that that's not going to cross that line about you know of, of critical race theory? I mean, uh, what are you going to do? Just say you know teach about happy little pilgrims and happy little indians and you know oh yeah native people gave us uh, gave us corn i mean you're gonna stop there i mean news is breaking every freaking day about more undocumented or unmarked graves being discovered alongside these residential schools so you're gonna ignore all of that you're gonna ignore all of this history the you know again the massacres the residential schools you know the you know the rape culture that is that we now attribute to missing and murdered indigenous women and girls and trans and two-spirit i mean are we going to ignore all of that stuff even as schools say well we're going to teach history and not to resolve the the mascot problem but to but but to prolong it i mean it's there i mean it's absurd no matter how these guys try to address this stuff there's no way they can make a logical or an intelligent argument in any of this well i think that it's as you you know i was reading i was reading this article earlier today about again about this pushback against teaching critical race theory and for me, what I found to be so distur- also so disturbing was a majority of these conservative groups and foundations that are pushing back against CRT being taught in schools are not made up of teachers, um, and and the teachers who are there are come from you know largely conservative states and districts, and it's just in I find this to be absurd because again as a teacher as someone who writes curriculum someone who writes critical race theory within curriculum I find. Uh, it's necessary to connect with your students. And the majority of students are students of color. And a majority of these histories affect stu- how students are treated within school systems currently. So it, it's clearly based out of fear. You know, it's clearly, uh, this is a threat to white supremacy. And as we've discussed on this show before, and something that I discussed pretty openly, is that our education system upholds white supremacy. Our history, this, the histories that are taught to our students uphold white supremacy. And critical race theory really challenges how, not just how teachers teach history, but then also how they have to unpack that within their own classroom. Because as, as we're talking about residential schools and enslavement and all of these really intense topics, we can't ignore how it impacts our young people today. We can't ignore how this impacts mental health as well as systemic issues today. So if you're a teacher and your intention is to serve your students, you are obligated to teach critical race theory because it is part of our everyday lives. We can't ignore what our students go through on a daily basis as students of color. You know, I, I want to. You said something that went by so fast, and I want, I want to highlight it. You you said that the majority of students are people of color. I don't know if the average American realizes this, but while the overall population is still, you know, uh, the majority of the overall population is white, the younger you look at the population. The, the younger that that demographic of American population is, the less predominantly white it is. I mean, I remember it was only a few years ago that, well, it seems like just a few years ago that they were saying that that kindergarten classes, you know, were were uh, the official numbers on kindergarten classes had, uh, you know, had 
you know, a majority of people of color en- enrolled. So that's where we're at with school. And that's not changing. That trend isn't isn't going to shift back towards, uh, you know, towards a white majority. So it, it becomes even more critical. And I, I, I you said that and, and I didn't want it to go by without giving you a special note to it. No, I appreciate you saying that because it is so important for people to understand that the demographic of the population of students is different. Most of yeah. Most students are people of color. And I also think that something that I've noticed within these critical race theory conversations in terms of teaching within the K through 12 curricula is also that um, critical race theory is not synonymous to culturally relevant teaching. And culturally relevant teaching is something that we saw come out of the 90s, which is this intention to approach um to approach teaching by affirming students' ethnic and racial backgrounds. So like introducing more diverse narratives within history teaching would be culturally relevant teaching, but that's not the same as critical race theory. So a lot of what- Great point. Yeah, it's just, they're, they're not, those are not the same. And so you'll see a lot of people be like, oh, well, we now offer more indigenous history classes or black history classes, or we're gonna have more, you know, we're gonna discuss this more. Um, but that's those those two aren't necessarily synonymous. Critical race theory requires that you unpack what the his, what history what uh, implications historical narratives have had to contemporary policy. So and, I think and that's that that's that's, that's that key. Understood. The, the contemporary nature what's so important here because you know as a, as a native person or as native people I should say for both of us one of the things that we, we get that we have to challenge is is that we are only taught as objects of history exactly. so that that is exactly part of the problem I mean when I think about again the, the mascot issue every one of those mascots has us you know pegged as an image from the 18th century or, you know, or, or earlier and so what is being taught is that we no longer exist as a you know as as native people you know that somehow we've been homogenized by history so much that that an indian or a redskin is this logo it is not john kane or regan de loggins yeah <laughs> oh, that's very true well and i and i and again and again the the contemporary nature of of uh, of, of the of the way things exist today I you know and I know that seems redundant but I mean you're right if you're just going to teach snippets of history and and you're going to cherry pick those it's like it's like I was saying joking with Reggie at the beginning of the show I mean yeah you're not going to teach about slavery you're going to teach about the ending of slavery you know so so it's got a happy ending to the story so you know that's you know when I when I think about what is taught of native history you know, a lot of times you'll hear, oh, this this given tribe fought on the side of the Americans during the revolution. Well, you're gonna ignore the fact that uh, that they still got screwed over by colonists, or you're gonna ignore why it is that some native peoples fought on the side of the British, you're, especially after those same native people fought on the side of the British against the French. I mean, there, there's just so much that gets that gets missed in, in all of this because there, Every piece of history, whether it's black history, whether it's, you know, whether it's native history, whether it's, you know, the, the history of, of armed conflicts of the United States, you're going to teach everything that still makes America the shining example, you know, uh, you know of all things that are that are right. I mean, 
at some point when you when you think about dropping two atomic bombs on a uh, uh, you know on Hiroshima and Nagasaki I mean you've got to teach the horrors of that and if you and look if if some white people feel guilty about it that's I mean sorry I mean th- that little bit of guilt that you're feeling is nothing compared to what generations of Japanese uh, and not just Japanese in Japan, but Japanese all over the world were impacted by. Yeah, and I think that's something that also is like, I also think something that isn't being understood about why this is actually such a threat um, in terms of banning critical race theory in schools is that a lot of this legislation, um, which by the way, uh, has passed in Idaho, Iowa, Oklahoma, and Tennessee, uh, a lot of this legislation, a lot of these bills are incredibly vague. They're, they're vague. So the way that they're written are vague. So now we're talking about teachers could be in violation of these laws by just teaching history as it, you know, as it's been taught already. So like discussing Jim Crow within the classroom, which is a part of history and is most is, you know, mostly taught in schools. I don't want to say they're taught everywhere because Jim Crow isn't necessarily taught everywhere, but a teacher could be in violation of these laws within um, under the critical race theory by just teaching history that includes oppression of people of colors. So I think that we 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 need to watch this legislation. We need to watch these bills. And we need to specifically watch the wording that's coming out of it um, and how these uh, how teachers are going to be held quote unquote accountable to these laws because the the purpose the. Um, the strategic nature of making them very vague puts teachers at risk and students at risk for having discussions about about race, about race within the classroom. And you can't ignore race when you talk about American history. You can't ignore those things. It's been done for so long, but you know, but we can't allow that to continue to happen. So I, I really think that. I want people to, who are listening to this show to understand that a lot of this legislation that, that is passing in a lot of these states is incredibly detrimental and violent. It's not just that critical race theory can't be taught in the classroom. It's that teachers, because of how vague these, how vague the language is, teachers are going to not be allowed or will be held accountable for teaching history of oppression in general. Which means teachers can be fired. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, this is the thing that 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 teachers can be punished in any number of ways. And and we don't know when they they pass these laws. Well, what are the the uh, the punitive, um, uh, you know, what are that? What are they? What's the punishment for violating this law? Clearly, we know that teachers will be vulnerable, especially teachers that that are willing to teach this kind of history. So, yeah, it it, it is it is really damaging. And of course, as I said earlier, and I, and I said it somewhat jokingly, we we listen to these old white men say that they're they're concerned about their children, you know, having to you know feel guilt. And you know what? At the end of the day, these guys don't care about their, their children. They're caring about themselves. And you know, so when I want to hear some of this stuff, it it is it's really kind of absurd that you know 
this this classic maneuver of saying, "Well, my children are going to be victims of something," and and of course it gets it, it gets drummed up like, "Well, if my children are are taught this, then they could be persecuted in school, and they could be bullied, and they could be looked at as you know as somehow inferior and that kind of stuff." The, the whole thing takes on this 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 momentum. None of which is real, and all of it is is, is about protecting white privilege uh, and demonstrating white fragility. And also protecting the state. We can't ignore that a lot of this is also to protect the state. And this is not the first time something like this has happened. You know, in, in the early and like mid 20th century, there was a lot of concern about socialism and Marxism being taught in schools. And you had the American Legion, which was a conservative group, uh, beginning in the 1930s that specifically sought to remove schools of progressive minded textbooks that included um, criticisms about economic inequalities and Oh, did I lose you? Uh-oh. Brad, you see if we see if we can get get uh, um, get Regan back. Uh, but but on that no, I mean, when when you consider th- that what that what happens when you ban this kind of education, what you're what you are actually stripping away is is this whole notion that that things need to be uh, be adjusted, that there that there needs to be a fix. I mean, look. I mean, if, if you didn't have any ownership or acknowledgement or, or sense of contrition over some of the ills of the past, every one of those things would continue. And for some on the right, this is really their desire. Their desire is, you know, when they give their Make America Great slogan, they they want to return to a time when nobody talked about, you know, any of this bad history, that 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 history was merely a propaganda tool to promote the state. Well, go ahead, Regan. Ed- go ahead. What I was going to say uh, was that history education also protects the state. Its intention is to protect the state, um, because if people understood how American history actually happened, this country would not exist. You know, th- this it, there would be uh, <laughs> there would be actual revolt and revolution against the state if people understood the history of um, the American colonial and the American imperial project. And so I I wanted to point out that this is not the first time that we've seen conservatives attempt to to meddle with education policies. And the example that I gave before I I cut out for whatever reason was that in the 1930s, the the American Legion, which was a conservative um, uh, group, tried to remove any, and was actually pretty successful, tried to remove any textbooks that discussed socialism and Marxism within the classroom because it acted as a threat against, uh, you know, the American democracy narrative. And introducing ideologies of socialism, Marxism, and communism within the classroom would radicalize children against the state. And it was incredibly successful. It, you know, you, it was part of the MacArthurism, part of the Red Scare, you know, this hunt against communists. Like, it, this has definitely happened in in the past. And it was, as I said, incredibly successful and is why you have so many, you know, why the American dream part of it is being anti-communist. You know, and I'm not right. saying this as, you know, I'm not, I don't identify as a communist. I identify as an indigenous anarchist. But I bring up this narrative because it's it's been damaging in the past. And we need to be paying attention 
to what is being done now because it will be damaging in the future, specifically to students of color, specifically to populations of color. Like this is a this is actually incredible. This is a threat against communities of color. To right. remove critical race theory from the classroom removes discussions of oppression. And therefore, you're asking students to participate in the continuation of the mythos of a benign American dream, a benign American history, when the reality is American history is imperial violence. Yeah, I mean, you can't talk about the American dream without throwing in the word manifest destiny. And, Absolutely. And it, it is so critical to understand this idea that that was promoted so strongly in everything from you know the the founding fathers of the united states to 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 every history teacher in the early in the early part of the republic that they needed to promote this this preordained destiny that that needed to be fulfilled i wanted to mention something else because i'm i'm glad you brought up um, the American Legion and and the work that they did to to strike words like socialism and communism and Marxism, because today we don't even need those words because we have people that are are suggesting that things things like critical race theory are just euphemisms for them. I mean, mm-hmm. I just by virtue of, of of opposing native mascots, I have been labeled as uh, as an as a Marxist as a liberal extremist promoting a Marxist agenda simply because I you know and and without even looking at any of my the other the rest of the body of work that I do just just purely on the mascot issue alone so the idea that that critical race theory is being held up as uh, as a Marxist agenda as a communist agenda and look it is entirely possible that when people are educated properly they may move you know, to the left on, you know, politically. I mean, I don't think that's an unreasonable assumption to make, but that doesn't mean out of that fear that you don't teach, that you don't teach history and you don't teach what the effects of history are on us, you know, contemporarily. Absolutely. And and also to, to make critical race theory synonymous to socialist theory is not correct. Uh, you know, there are definitely interconnectedness and there are intersections and we should discuss those things within the classroom, but they're not necessarily synonymous. But the second you tag those kinds of words because of the work that was done in the mid 20th century to scare people away from communism and socialism, because of that work, now we see the implications that it has currently. And that's why I'm saying that it's so dangerous that critical race theory is being removed from the classroom because 20 years from now, 30 years from now, 40 years from now, we're going to be having this exact same discussion about how removing CRT from the classroom put people in danger in the same way that removing discussing socialism put people in danger now. Like there, there are there are larger implications to removing CRT from the classroom than we don't want to hurt white children's feelings. And also the assumption that that children aren't open to these conversations is incredibly ageist. And I have a huge problem with that as someone that works with young people to remove their autonomy and their own self-determination in learning this and to assume that they are too fragile or 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 that it will have a negative impact on their lives is 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 actually so ageist, you know. 
providing children with holistic education is the only way to have a sustainable future away from colonialism and capitalism. And obviously the people who are afraid of having CRT taught in the classroom are afraid of what life would look like without colonialism and capitalism upholding white supremacy. Yeah, no, and I think that's that's exactly right. And and I go back to your to your comment about um, how the the threat that teaching you know critical race theory has on um, on the status quo of the state um, is is such an important um, idea because you know we we need to. Look, we have to progress as a people, as a you know, as as a as a species, and 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 one of the things that we have to be be able to you know to do is look back at the flaws of our past. I mean, it, it's it's not just a trite expression to suggest that if you don't under if you don't you know carry this history forward, then you're destined to repeat it. We we see it over and over again. We're seeing some repeat of it now. I mean, with with trying to roll back you know voting laws. And, and 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 cater to essentially a minority in and by a minority I mean Republicans because if, if you do the numbers you realize that Republicans are increasingly becoming a minority and yet they still have systems that are definitely attached to this idea of critical race theory that are giving them a disproportionate amount of power I <clears throat> I also think it's important to name that this is, strategic gaslighting done by both the federal yeah. and state governments and that gaslighting is abuse gaslighting is you know gaslighting is making juneteenth a federal holiday and then banning critical race theory in schools it's making a juneteenth a federal holiday and destabilizing mutual aid networks it's making Juneteenth a federal holiday and then refusing to defund or abolish the police. You know, we can't ignore that the Biden administration just poured millions of dollars into uh, into a, n- a number of different police agencies in order to maintain uh, continued police violence in black and brown communities. So I, I, we need to name what this is so that we know how to act against it. This is gaslighting. This is abuse. This is a way to maintain white supremacy. It's a way to to honestly dishonor our children's education through an incredibly racist system. And I think it's important that we talk about history education as a racist as part of as part of this history education participates in maintaining white supremacy. And so history teachers that look to push back against that are now going to be criminalized. That's this is. This is this is when you start to talk about fascism and authoritativism like this is where this is the beginnings of it. People need to understand that this is all interconnected and we're talking about an incredible abuse of power by the federal and state governments. Well, the other thing that I want to mention, you mentioned gaslighting is if you are starting to see things like racial equity being introduced into um into school administrations at the same time that there is this effort to ban critical race theory again that that's that is more of that gaslighting because you cannot approach any conversation about any kind of racial equity program if you're not going to address some of the same things that you would have to address when it comes to critical race theory 
Absolutely. I, I, it's just such important. It's so important for people to understand how interconnected all of these issues are and that radical education and radicalizing students is a part of history education. And if you're a history educator and you're not participating in that, then you're upholding white supremacy. Right. Hey, I wanted to mention something. I mean, as, as many of you know, um, either from listening to this show or to, to my Let's Talk Native podcast, I have been engaged in my old high school of the debate over uh, over their mascot. The, they call themselves the Cambridge Indians. And it's been going on for over eight months since I formally asked for the name to be uh, to be removed and the mascot and imagery to be removed. And. You know, it just seems like that town has gotten crazier and crazier. They had an incident where one of the kids uh, posted Mein Kampf as his favorite book in the yearbook, and then they had to recall all the yearbooks and reprint them. And they responded to that immediately, even as they dragged their feet over this uh, over this mascot issue. And interestingly enough, um, this little town, I mean, I'm, we're talking about a small village here in upstate New York, um, made the Washington Post. So I, I encourage people if they want to check out the uh, an opinion column in the Washington Post. It's called A New York School District Confronts Hate in Its Yearbook, If Not in Its Mascot. So uh, check it out. Um, uh, you'll, I, I thought the, the article was done decently. Um, a couple of you know, hiccups here and there, but I think, uh, I think the, the writer did, did a decent job with it. I got to tell you that last week, the, the Cambridge Central School District had a board meeting. They put forth a resolution to, uh, to strike, retire, get rid of um, the Indian's name, and any imagery and logos and, and mascot associated with it, and then didn't vote on it. They, instead, rather than vote on it, they moved along to this idea of creating an amendment. Um, there was also some language in that in that meeting that was you know personally directed at me, even though I wasn't mentioned by name. So tonight, um, so if you're listening to the show on Thursday, it would be you know, Thursday night. Um, the uh, board is having a special meeting and from what I under understood the board president is going to form uh, formally issue an apology to me and then he's oh, going wow. to inter and then he's going to introduce the original resolution to ban the, the mascot ban the name um, and put that to vote now it may not pass but but the compromise or the or the watered down amendment that they were going to do was a, a suggestion to keep the name but strike the logo which is pretty much absurd and it doesn't address any of the you know the, the calls for schools to get rid of these things but it just this to me is is a perfect example of systemic racism and it's a perfect example of uh, to what critical race theory addresses. Because when you have a, a community that completely lacks diversity, and this is a, a town that is 95 plus percent white, 99 plus percent non-native, they and, and yet they're going to address a native issue and reject every 
you know, piece of information that has come from outside the community, which obviously it must come from the outside of the community if, if it's going to be a native viewer perspective on it. This is this lies at the problem um, with those who are calling and some of the same again, some of the very same people in this small town of Cambridge who are rejecting changing the mascot are beginning with this with their school board to create um, an opposition to critical race theory. And that is just a perfect, I think, like a perfect anecdote, an example of how this is all interconnected, you know, mascots being used within schools and by professional leagues as well because we can't ignore that but mascots being used within schools uh, a lack of true historical teaching and then the choice the choice and the allowance by school boards to remove critical race theory and culturally relevant teaching from the classroom is all it's all synonymous to one another these are they are they work hand in hand and the intention of course as we've said multiple times in this show as well as on other shows is to uphold white supremacy and for people that might seem oh well you know that white supremacy sounds like a, a difficult thing to unpack but it is it is insidious it is uh, interlinked and it is a part of our daily lives and to continue to introduce students to white supremacist teachings and theories and narratives is is how the settler state maintains power generationally this is how, why we see history being taught the same way for over the course of the you know the modern through postmodernist period this is why pedagogy in education classrooms rarely changes and why when history teachers do push back on pedagogy or try to introduce new theories or new narratives within the, within the classroom, why they are so quickly fired or removed or called uh, you know, a, number of, a number of names before they are fired and removed. You know, this is, it, it's, it's really truly, uh, I keep using the term insidious because it's the only word I can think of that really describes how detrimental, violent, and manipulative these policies are um, in maintaining the status quo of settler colonialism as, as benign, as something of the past, rather than something that is ongoing and violent. You know, another phenomenon, and you and I have both participated in this, is um, doing or performing what, what many call land acknowledgments. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's one thing for you or I who are asked to speak at, at an event, let's say, um, or a meeting of some sort to do a land acknowledgement. But the problem that I have with towns that do it or schools that do it or, you know, um, whatever population is taking the very space, not just utilizing it for a moment, but taking the very space that they're now going to do a land acknowledgement. If you're not going to acknowledge what happened to the people who are you are now announcing publicly predate your existence on that land, then again, this gets into some of that, that, that difficulty with critical race theory. If you're going to only say that we were there, again, you are you are illegitimizing our current our in contemporary existence. And, you know, I, I have to caution people now 
I mean, and you know, and look, I'm I'm quick to bring up on uh, on WBAI and and WPFW that I I appreciate the fact that the stations give us space to 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 allow our voices to be heard because what's there's a big difference between land back and land acknowledgement. You know, and and I think it's really important that people understand that if you are not going to give Native people space in the very lands that you're acknowledging was Native, you know, was or is Native territory, then it's it's kind of hypocritical. So I mentioned I wanted to mention that in passing as well. No, I think that's a, a incredibly important, especially because so many institutions and schools are now adopting land acknowledgement and the majority of the and for those who are unaware and i hope you're not a land acknowledgement is usually done at the beginning of an event or done with within an institution or a museum and the intention is as it says to acknowledge whose land you are on so for example a lot of people in you know in so-called new york city will say you know this is the land of the lenny lenape you know the ancestral land known as lenape hoking and you know it, it's it's a bare minimum bare minimum conversation and the so-called united states is very behind on land acknowledgements they've been done in in uh in the in occupied canada and occupied australia and occupied new zealand for quite some time now but now it's being really adopted quite um more vigorously within the united states but as you said often these land acknowledgements do do one thing they acknowledge the the ancestral lands of the people who you currently occupy but also cement them in the past there aren't discussions about how do we support indigenous people contemporarily whose land uh, how uh, how are the people who are removed off this land where are they now how do we bring them back you know th there are larger conversations that need to be had around land acknowledgments you know land acknowledgement is a band-aid on a bullet hole it's truly it does nothing and it's performative and often institutions just use them to you know check off a checklist of being up oh, and being more diverse and inclusive but without actually participating in reparations or rematriation to indigenous and black people well and oftentimes it's used as an excuse to do nothing more and and, and, exactly. and of course that's 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 the other problem is you know when i think about um again i go back to to mitch mcconnell um, once addressing the issue of reparations and, and his comment back to black folks, well, we gave you a black president as if that was the reparations. And, and you know, and you and I have mentioned that we, we certainly don't want a Deb Haaland or, you know, or an elected native congressperson to somehow be looked at as uh, as somehow a reparations to to you know what the native experience has been and you know it is just so easy for you know, for some people to you know, to characterize something as so far in the past and so irrelevant today that we that you know as if we're all better better because of it all of us i mean and i've heard native heard it said about native people that you know frankly yeah we lost all our lands and we lost this and we were murdered and we were all these horrible things that happened but um but we're americans now and isn't it worth it you know and and that's I, I get, that gets back to this to this you know really propagandized history that has been uh, you know promoted uh, in the united states exactly that is what is at the core of this conversation which is that there are larger implications to how history is taught in the classroom 
the way that we are taught history maintains assimilation, maintains genocide, maintains the settler colonial narrative, and it makes people complacent and complicit to a lot of these larger issues. And critical race theory looks to attempt to unpack those things. You know, I don't want to be like, you know, critical race theory is the end all be all and will save us and save our children from continued racism and oppression. But it is at it is the beginning of the conversation and it is our duty to have those conversations in the classroom because we are obligated to be educating and radicalizing students, even if it's not our own belief systems, which I think is incredibly important for people to understand. But if it isn't your belief system, then what the hell is wrong with you? Well, and and one of the other uh, peeve of mine is um, we have a conversation oftentimes about intolerance and tolerance. Look, I am perfectly willing to condemn intolerance, but frankly, tolerance isn't enough. I mean, I don't I don't want to be tolerated as a as a human being. I mean, because now now that feels like I'm being given something, you know, like, uh, oh, yeah, we're going to let you exist and that kind of stuff. So there's a big difference between tolerance and respect. And and I, you know, again, I think this is part of this, again, the bigger conversation that we're having today. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And of course, I, I want folks who are listening to take it upon themselves and to look up, you know, the Kimberly Crenshaws of the world who really introduce, you know, critical race theory into academia, but also understand that critical race theory, it has existed beyond academia, um, that academia is always late to the party and that conversations of critical race theory are had within community. You know, like right now I'm at my community garden, which is why it's been pretty loud and you probably heard chickens and sirens and such and you know i thought they were chickens i was wondering where the hell you were getting yeah. chickens from <laughs> it's a, i'm at the i'm at the community garden here here in bushwick in, oh, good for uh, you. in good for land you. in brooklyn and the most important conversations that i have ever had about critical race theory have happened here in the community surrounded by the by black and brown people by, by immigrants, by indigenous people, where we really unpack the larger systemic issues. So even though critical race theory, we talk about it from an academic point of view, it's important that folks understand that those conversations have been happening in community for time immemorial, and that we have been conscious and have been working diligently to push back against the settler state under what w would be understood as critical race theory conversations. Right. It, it, it may be a, a relatively new label, I mean, or at least becoming a popularized label om, om, only because it's being demonized as such. But exactly. But, but critical race theory has been shaping actually it's been te shaping um, curricula for, for quite some time. I mean, uh, it's been it's had some pushback every, you know, every step along the way. But that's why you have a James Lowen teaching lies my or writing a book like lies. My teacher told me that's why you have, you know, how in and Roxanne Dunbar-Artiste. I mean, these the, these folks are part of that idea of exploring critical race theory. Absolutely. This is not new, but people are really seeing, a, you know, people who want to uphold white supremacy are really seeing the threat that critical race theory has in dismantling the things that they hold so dear. 
Right. And and, and again, I hope um, I, I, I agree with you. I hope people do a little bit of research themselves and and understand that when you see some various states or if your own state, if New York state or or a school district, you know, a board um, begins to uh, push back on this thing. It's really important that, that people weigh in. I want to thank you again, Regan, for for a great conversation on a really important subject. I want to thank those of you in Washington and New York for for checking us out. This is John Kane with Regan DeLoggins, and this is Resistance Radio.